All right. Woo! <laughs> that, um, I don't know if you guys know, but that song came to Grace Church, that blameless song, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so. It is one of my absolute favorites. Um, I think the words of that song, you can take those words and pretty much put them in your heart and head on home because the fact that we are blameless and wanted and then they went ahead and added in the he loves us part. And it's like, to me, that kind of sums up everything um, that we are here to talk about today. So um, thanks, guys, girls, ladies. That was awesome worship this morning. Um, and I did want to say happy birthday to all the moms. Happy birthday. Good grief. Is anybody's birthday today? <laughs> okay. Uh, no, happy Mother's Day to all the moms and to everyone that has a mom, right? Because each and every one of us has a mom to be grateful for, for the life that she gave us. Um, try to be nice to her today. Like in some little form or fashion, she is a part of creating the awesomeness that is you. So um, give, her a, give her a high five or make your bed or something. Um, and, if, and if you're unable for whatever reason to say um, happy Mother's Day to your mom, just ask God to do it for you. Have him send her a sweet little happy Mother's Day, thank you, I love you kind of message. And you know what? I think he's that kind of God that he'll do that. Um, so over the last couple of weeks, I'm about to confess something here. Over the last couple of weeks, every time I started to think about what I might share with you this morning, some part of my messy, messy life would come up behind me and bop me on the head and remind me of the mess that I am. I would yell at my kids maybe a little more than I should. I would be grouchy with my husband. I would... Never, Alan says. I would be aloof with the friend because I was so tired. I couldn't just, I couldn't engage. I would do something that I didn't want to do or I wouldn't do something that I needed to do. And it just left me feeling empty. And like, I have no idea what to say to you all this morning. Um, but then I would take a little breath and I would hear this sweet voice in my mind say, it's all right, you're a mess, but more than the mess, you are my desired, wanted, favorite daughter. Don't pretend to be anything you're not. Just share from your heart because that happens to be where I live. And it was like God was just saying, it's all right, I'm here. Like, just share from your heart. And so that is what I'm going to do this morning. A couple of weeks ago, my friend Ray... Uh, gave me some really good advice that one of his professors gave him right before a big presentation. His professor told him to be short or to be bold, be short and be gone. Is that right? Be bold, be short, and be gone. So that's what we're going to try to do too. Um, so for those of you who are new to Grace, like Matt was saying, what I'm about to go over are some pretty simple uh, ways, some pretty simple Grace basics that we believe here and that we see Grace working itself out into our lives. For those of you who have been here forever, uh, nothing is going to be super new, I don't think, but hopefully you'll leave feeling refreshed and encouraged. Isn't it awesome that we get to keep talking about grace? It never runs out, does it? All right, 
I'm going to segue here for just a second. How many of you have read the Lord of the Rings books? Couple of you. How many of you have seen the movies? Okay, so way more of you have seen the movies than read the book. As it goes with books that are turned into movies, they left out the best part. All right, I'm just telling you they left out the best part in the movies. So in the books, let me catch up. Most of you have seen uh, the movie, so you know a little bit about the story. There's this group of nine kind of creatures that go, and they go on this long journey, and they are there to uh, conquer evil and restore a king to his rightful throne. Well, among these nine uh, fellows uh, are four hobbits. And these four hobbits are these little creatures. Uh, they're kind of funny looking. They have curly hair and kind of funny ears. And they are barefoot and their feet are hairy. It's kind of weird. But that's who they are. Um, and they're a big part of the story, right? Well, at the end of the movies, what you get is the evil has been dis destroyed. And the king has been restored to his rightful throne. And then the, the hobbits make this long journey back to their home, right? And that's where the movies end, is them going back to their little hobbit town. In the books, that's not the end of the story. In the book, the story continues. Because when the hobbits get there, when they get to their home, they find that one of the evil guys that they had defeated and pushed out in order to restore the king, one of the guys that they pushed out had enslaved, had taken over their town and enslaved their friends and their family. And these hobbits that have fought the wars and celebrated the restoration of the king come home and they see this guy and they're like, what's he doing? And they tell their friends who haven't heard that the battle has been won and that the king has been restored. They haven't gotten the news yet. And so they were allowed the, the evil was allowed to be, you know, they allowed the evil to be over them. But when these hobbits who had been a part of the battle told them that the king had been restored, they believed and they banded together and they defeated this guy once and for all and they kick him out. And so just like that for us, what I, I was talking this over with Alan and, and he said, it's like we are sanctified works in progress. We're not working out our sanctification. We're not working out to, to have this relationship with God. We have it. Our king, our king has been restored. He has, vic he has victory over all of the evil, all of the death, and he is sitting on his rightful throne. And so as we, as we work through our lives, I, I titled this, this little message, messy, messy, mom's desired, messy Mom Desired Daughter. But feel free, if, if you're not a mom, feel free to cross out mom and write messy human or messy whatever you want to write in there. And definitely feel free to cross out daughter and write in desired son. Feel free because this message really is for all of us because it's where we live. We live kind of messy, but really our foundation is the desired daughter part. So just like on your bulletin, the desired daughters underneath, it's the foundation of where we live. And I love that idea so much. So we're going to talk today a little bit about how that grace, how God's love and his desire for us works itself in and out 
of us. It works itself just like the hobbits had to return all the way home to find the mess back there. We get to get that messy stuff worked out in us. So the first bit of good news that I have is that God's abundant grace answers all of my needs. Every need I have, his abundant grace is the answer to that. John tells us that God is full of grace and truth. And if he's full of it, I'm assuming there's a lot of it, right? If God is full of it. Acts 4, 33 and 34 says this. Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus, which I just love. Um, and he tells, he's telling him about the first Christians. And Luke says this. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy one among them. Now, he goes on to say that, you know, there were some people that sold their land and their houses, and they gave it to the apostles, and they divided it up. And that was amazing. And, and I'm sure that's how a lot of their needs were met, and that's awesome. But I also, I, I kind of have this hunch that maybe as they were testifying about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and as their attention turned to him and to his goodness and to his grace and all that he had done for them, I imagine that somehow that lessened their needs, that that turned their needs um, into to not quite as important, right? Because when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, all of our needs are met. I'm thinking we have a lot to learn from these early Christians about God's abundant grace. The second thing I want to talk about is that God's beckoning, his beckoning grace wanted me first. I love that word beckoning. Um, it's like a friendly, hi, come here. It's that kind. It's not just a hey, it's like a hey and a come close. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we were saved through grace and brought into a relationship with God. In Galatians, he said it was by his grace, or he was called by grace, even from his mother's womb, which is such great encouragement for all of us, isn't it, that we were called through grace, even when we were in our mother's womb. And in 1 Peter 5.10, Peter tells us that the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. Peter, Peter, Peter knew something about being called by grace, didn't he? He was one of the original disciples that was called by Jesus. He was there those couple of times that Jesus stood on a lake shore and said, hey, guys, I know you've been fishing all night, and I know you've caught absolutely nothing. How about, how about throwing your nets on the other side of the boat? Now, this was a story that happened at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus' ministry, and it happened at the very end. There were two different times. Jesus is like, dudes, throw, your, throw the nuts on the other side. And both times that the disciples did this, they caught such an abundance of fish that their nets could hardly pull him in. I think Peter knew something about being called and something about the abundance of what God has for us. And yet, I think the sweetest thing that Peter knew 
I think the sweetest calling that Peter ever got was after he had messed up big time. He had denied even knowing Jesus three times. In like the heat of the moment, he abandoned even knowing Jesus. And yet, at the very end, after Jesus had risen, after they were sitting there having breakfast together, after one of those times that he, they uh, had told, uh, after Jesus had told them to throw their nets on the other side, Jesus sat with Peter and said, Peter, come here. Do you love me? Yeah. God, I love you. Peter, come closer. Come here. Do you love me? Yes. God, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter understood in that moment what it meant to be called close to Jesus, even in the midst of his messiest, messiest moment. And in that moment, Peter was able to then even set his sights on caring for others. Jesus wanted him to care for others as he was understanding how forgiven he was. The good news is that God beckons us. He calls us as messy people into a relationship with himself. And that's pretty good news, I think. And all we have to do is respond to that calling. So God's grace is abundant. God's grace calls us. And God's creative grace makes me new. Acts 15.11 tells us, but we believe we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And John 14.20 says, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So this good news, this really good news that is working itself out in us is about saving grace that creates a new space within us that is perfect enough for God to abide. That's the good news of this saving grace. This space that God creates has to comply or measure up to God's specifications. And because they're his requirements, because they're his specs, right? He is the only one that can create that space. So it's a good thing that, number four, God's grace did everything for me. God's grace did everything for me that I could not do for myself. And we say that a lot around here, don't we? His grace takes care of making that space perfect for himself by making us justified, sanctified, and righteous. A perfect, holy, holy space, right, Matt, where God abides. We cannot create that space. Only God can, and only he does the work that Jesus finished on the cross. Think of it like this. How many of you realize that while you're cleaning your house, you're actually messing it up, right? You're cleaning, you're cleaning, you're cleaning, 
and you're sweating. You're creating dirty laundry. You're cleaning and cleaning, and as you take the trash out, you bring sand in with your feet, right? As you're cleaning, you're dusting, and the dust flies everywhere only to go settle over here. You might have gotten this spot, but guess what? Half of it's over there still, right? And as you're vacuuming, the air that's coming out still stinks. If it stunk before, it's stinking now. It's still dirty. We can't do it. We can't clean our own physical house, let alone the inside of us, right? Only God can do that. And we are so thankful he does. And this never-ending cycle of trying to clean and not being able to is what reminds us that God's grace is so amazing. I laughed the other day uh, when, <laughs> when Rick talked about practice makes perfect. Do you remember when he said that a couple of weeks ago? When I was 12-ish, I was on a swim team, and our workouts were called practices. We went to swim practice every day, or twice a day sometimes. Um, and a few of us, as you know, like our little preteen selves, thought we were so funny, and we would say, practice makes perfect, and nobody's perfect, so why practice? You know, we thought it was hilarious telling our coach that we didn't need to practice, right? He didn't think it was so funny, but we thought we were so funny. And isn't that like this never-ending cycle of trying to make ourselves good enough for God? practicing and practicing and practicing and never attaining that perfection, never attaining good enough on our own because we just can't get there. And the sad truth is, I know we all can think of someone that has completely given up on practicing for God. We know people who have decided this cycle of trying to be good enough is unattainable, and so they just chuck God all together, right? They just say, I, I can't do it, so I'm not even going to try, so whatever, people, you know? And we all know those folks. My goodness, I want to tell them the good news, that they aren't responsible. You aren't responsible for cleaning yourself up. There's not enough things you can stop doing. There's not enough things you can start doing that can get you into that relationship with God. Only he can do that. God's inside of you. The Bible tells us that. He's in us. And if he's in us, I guarantee you it's a good enough place for him. He's made it, and he's there, so it's good enough for you. We can mature in our decisions, we can grow in grace, we can cooperate with all these things, but we can't make it happen. We can be branches that good fruit of the Spirit grows from, that we get to share with other people, good things like love and joy and peace and patience, right? All that good stuff, we can be the branches that bear that fruit, but we can't produce it. It's God in us. The good news is, Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can draw near with confidence, not with, oh, I hope this was good enough, but with confidence because of who he is in us. 
All right, this leads me to my next point, which is where it gets real, and I'll be honest, a little bit uncomfortable for me. Um, this is the place where God is really at work in me, and I'm excited to see what the future holds here. Um, I honestly, I think it's about, I've been listening to Clark uh, teach on the feasts and all that kind of stuff, and I'm honestly looking forward to the next phase that we're going to enter into, um, and I think this point here has a little something, at least in my mind, it's, it's how it's working itself out. God's expanding grace, his expanding, his growing grace connects me to people. That's my point. In 2 Corinthians 4.15, Paul talks about grace expanding when he says, For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Did you guys know that it was only about 15 and a half years ago that www.graceorlando.com was available? <laughs> like, we got it. Now, there's like 20-some, I don't know, different churches that are grace churches in the area that I'm sure would love our uh, little website name there. But we got it. It's awesome. Um, Luke writes about Jesus growing in grace. Peter wrote a letter and encouraged his friends to grow or expand in grace. And here's where it gets real for me. And in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, Paul writes, you are a household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fit together into a dwelling place of God, and all in the spirit, yeah, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. As believers... And with Jesus as our cornerstone, we are a building, being fitted together, growing, being built together into a dwelling of God, and all of that in the Spirit. See, the struggle for me here is that, okay, if God, if God's grace is abundant, if he's called us to himself and he wants us, if he's created this new life in me, if he did everything for me that I could do for myself, if he's fitting us together, if he's growing us and fitting us together like a building where he's the cornerstone so that we can all be the dwelling together of Jesus, why, why do we still struggle so much fitting nicely with each other. We don't always fit nicely, do we? Sometimes it's because our edges are rough. I, I don't know how to explain it all, except that I think we struggle. We struggle to connect his grace with the way we treat others, and honestly, with the way they treat us, too. It's like square pegs in a round hole, right? And I think it has to do with this maturity thing. And I think it has to do with the way the good news of the gospel, the good news of grace is working itself out in us. The good news is if Jesus himself had room to grow in grace, then I think so do we, right? That's my hope. 
If Jesus had room to grow in grace, so do we. If you don't know, I, does anybody know who Brene Brown is? Has anybody read Brene Brown? A couple of you. Okay. I love her. She is a woman of faith. She is a researcher. She's a Texan. So she says things just kind of the way they are, um, which is refreshing a lot of times. Um, I've read a couple of her books recently. Uh, one is Daring Greatly, and the other one is Daring to Lead. Um, and she's helping me in this area, this struggle that I am talking about here, the struggle of trying to figure out how all of these grace principles that we, we know and live and believe, how they're working themselves out in my relationships with people, whether that's people in my family, whether that's my friends, whether that's at my kid's school, wherever that may be, right? God is working these things out in us, and, and Brene has helped me. Um, one of the things, she says a couple of things that I have just found to be, to be really helpful. One, she says that people are hardwired for connection. I believe her. But in order to feel connected to others, in order to get that hardwired connection need met, we have to believe that we're worthy of connection. Makes sense, right? And only people who have a strong sense of love and belonging actually believe they are worthy. So if you don't feel loved or like you belong, you will feel unworthy of connection. But we're hardwired for connection, so that's a problem. And I think, now Brene doesn't say this, but I think grace is the answer to all of that. In grace, we know that we are loved. We know we belong to God's family. And therefore, we are worthy of being connected with them, right? In grace, we know that, that without a full understanding of the fullness of his grace, that all of this connecting and belonging and loving and all this worthiness stuff is just left up to human frailty. And we fail all the time in it, don't we? And again, we fail. Why is it we fail most with the people we love the most? Right? It's the people we love the most that we let down the most. It's our kids that we yell at. It's our husband that we're grouchy to. It's our friends that we're aloof with, right? And it drives me crazy. But not to worry, because we can rest in what God has already done for us and... Brene gives us a couple of practical things that we can do to help. Two of the things that she says that we can do are be vulnerable and empathetic. All right? Vulnerability, in her words, is the ability to show up even when we don't know the outcome. Um, Alan, this week, did that a couple of times in ways that pretty much blew me away. I had no idea. He put himself out. Actually, there's three I can think of right off the top of my head. One at work and one with some, an acquaintance and one with a friend. He put himself out there and said, hey, I miss you. Hey, how about if we get together? He did that this week. And it's just, it's unbelievable to me that he did that. He put himself out there without a guarantee of response. He was vulnerable. Um, 
And as I was thinking about this word vulnerability, uh, I instantly pictured uh, a mom holding a little baby. Um, Nancy's back there, I think, holding sweet little Evelyn, right? Holding the baby. I pictured a mom holding a baby. And I instantly thought, oh my gosh, which one's more vulnerable? Is it the baby? We think the baby because the baby can't care for themselves. The baby can't, can't, you know, needs mom to feed and like all that kind of stuff. But you know what? That mama's heart would be crushed. It would shatter if anything happened to that baby. Right there, mom is looking at that baby, loving her, wanting to protect her, wanting to, to give everything that she needs to that baby. And without any guarantee... <laughs> of ever being loved back, right? Who's more vulnerable, the baby or the mom? And then you know what? Instantly I thought, oh my gosh, that's what God did. The moment that he created us, God opened himself up to vulnerability. I don't know about you, I've never thought about God being vulnerable before. You know he's omniscient, you know he's omnipotent, you, all of those, you know he's all of those. But in that moment that he created us, he's holding us, going, oh honey, oh baby, I love you. I've been waiting for this moment since forever, literally. He's been waiting since forever. He wants to care for us, he wants to provide us, he wants to give us everything he has that we want and need. And he does it all without a guarantee that we'll love him back. That kind of vulnerability is a strength that we don't often talk about. But doesn't it make you feel awesome <laughs> that God is holding you like that? And what a great place, what a great way for the good news of his grace to get that the good news of his grace reaches out into our most vulnerable moments. He's there. He understands. He knows what that feels like. He was vulnerable when he created us. And you know what? He's got us. He's got us. All right. Second thing, empathy. So vulnerability and empathy. When we're vulnerable with people, we need to be vulnerable with people. It will help us connect with them. Empathy is basically the ability to see, feel, and spontaneously want to be involved in other people's lives. Some of us have it pretty naturally. Some of us have to work at it a little bit, right? But we can. We can work on it because it's something that basically God has mandated us to do anyway, right? Did he not tell us to love our neighbor as ourselves? That is empathy. When we love our neighbors, when we want to see them and hear them and spontaneously jump into their lives and want to help them. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to fix all their problems, right? We don't have to do that because goodness knows we're not that good right? God, only God is that good. And so we can leave that fixing or whatever you want to say it is, that changing, that you have to do this or you have to do that thing. That's between that person and God. That's not between us. Um, <laughs> I just thought in my head, unless you're my kid and I'm asking you to make your bed, maybe then I can tell you how to fix that or do that, but maybe not. Right, Malls? Right. All right. So 
When we see others primarily as God's desired sons and daughters, when we're vulnerable with them, when we share our lives with them, and when we allow them to be vulnerable with us, and as we see them as God's desired sons and daughters, not just as the mess that they are, we can and should do our best to care for them, and we can trust the God that is in them. A few years ago, maybe a year or so after Alan and I got married, um, we got in a little fight about something, and uh, he left to go run some errands, and I was left vacuuming, all right? I was left cleaning the house, and he was gone, and I was trying to work out my uh, salvation um, in, <laughs> in my thoughts towards him. And um, I heard this little whisper in my head that said, hey, Leslie, do you trust me? I was like, yep. And I just kept on vacuuming over the roar of the vacuum. Hey, Leslie, do you trust me? Yes, God, I trust you. Third time. Hey, Leslie, do you trust me? Turned off the vacuum, I sat down on the couch, and I said, yes, God, I trust you. All irritated because I really wanted to get my house clean, do it myself. But I said, yes, God, I trust you. And he said, then trust the me that's in him. And it revolutionized our marriage. When we've had times of doubt, when we've had times of struggle, when he's been mad at me and I've been mad at him, we can trust the God that is in each other, the God that is working out his good news of grace in us. And you know what? I want, I desire Grace Church to be that kind of church. I want us to be a place where people can know that they are loved and that they belong. Where every Sunday you show up, either here in the building or online, you know that we want you here, that you are worthy and we want you here. Oh, I want to be that so badly. So, I'm going to say this from my mama's heart. If you feel unloved, unworthy and like you don't belong, let's talk about it. Call me. Let's talk, all right? Or talk to your neighbor about it because there's a chance that they'll be vulnerable with you and listen and empathetic and maybe the two of you can work something out too. But let's together decide to be vulnerable and empathetic as we listen to each other, as we jump, spontaneously jump into each other's lives. And all of this, all of this vulnerability and empathy and all of the stuff that we're talking about, it makes so much sense when we look at it in the light of the unity that God calls us to, right? He wants us to be in unity because that's how other people will know about him. They'll see something different because they are hardwired for connection. And when people see it, they'll know something's different about us and they'll want it. And this is, this is the hard, because sadly, we don't always work it out, do we? Sometimes the messes that we are and the limited knowledge that we have, somehow because of that, we don't always get to work it out. But the good news is, the good news is there's abundant grace for even that. God is full of it, right? He's full of grace. And someday we will 
all fit together according to his plan. I think that's the thing that Clark's been talking about that's coming, right? That revelation of the Father. It's that thing that we will be unified. We will be able to connect. We will feel like we will belong. We will feel we are worthy. And people are going to be like, what is happening there? Dang, as Clark said last week, I want to be a part of that, right? I want to be a part. I want us to be a part of it. And so really quickly, the last, my last point, number six, God's free grace is for me forever. In Romans, Paul tells us that grace is a free gift. And like any true present, it costs us nothing. God's grace is free. And once you receive it, it is forever. You can't pay for it. You can't lose it. You can't break it. You can't get rid of it. It's yours. It's yours forever. So no matter what kind of messy you are, whether the messy mom title holds or messy dad or messy human, whatever you want, no matter what your messy is, you are blameless, as the song said earlier. You are loved. You are his desired, his wanted his treasured, his favorite. You are his favorite son and his favorite daughter. I think we can do this, right? We can allow, if, if the hobbits can make it back to the hobbiton and kick out the bad guy together, I think we can do it together here. I love that God's promise is ours forever. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks for the reminder that we are your favored sons and daughters. Help us to continue to receive your grace upon grace. Thank you for not seeing me as the mess that I sometimes feel I am. But instead, thank you for helping me through the mess. Thanks that you have sanctified us and that your sanctification is working itself out in us. God, we love you. Bless our moms today. They're awesome. Help them to know that we know they did the best they could. Lord, help us as moms to know that we are doing the best that we can. Help us to trust the you that is in our kids and in our families and in our friends. Lord, we pray that this grace will continue to grow and expand. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for the abundance of it. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.